We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal angst economy at all-time low as football club won't lose a game. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. The one thing that we have become so good at as Arsenal fans is angst. Being angsty. Being at each other's throat, yelling at each other, screaming about how terrible the team did. And we have a crisis in the angst economy because under Mikel Arteta, all we do is win football games. We win cup ties. We win league games. It is quite exhausting if you are looking to participate in the angst economy, but I assure you, friends, we will find a way uh, to participate in just that very thing. So, a couple of notes. We um, have a new Patreon segment coming next week, a video scouting uh, concept that we're going to do with Clive, where we're going to look at Awar and parties so that we can see what kind of players they are, analyze them, and discuss all the ways in which they would have helped us if we signed them, which clearly we are not doing because... Arsenal. There's where your angst can go. Uh, also, if you're watching us on Patreon right now, big wave for you. We are doing the video thing today, so you can watch our faces if you want to do that. I can't uh, dissuade you strongly enough. And last but not least, let me just tell you what we're going to do today. Because the Carabao Cup game was not super interesting, but there are certain interesting things we think we can tease out of it, we're going to have a conversation today about four players in the context of how they performed in this game and maybe a little broader discussion of where they are at the club right now. And those four players are going to be Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Joe Willick, Reese Nelson, and Nicola Pepe, who, again, I, I want to pronounce his name correctly, uh, and I do get ridiculed for pronunciation, so I want to make sure I say it right. 72 million pound Pepe, I believe is how that's pronounced. Okay, I joke, I joke, but, well, let me do this. Tim's on Twitter, so right, hello, Tim. <laughs> hello there. Clive's on Twitter, Clive BFC, hello, Clive. 
Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. All right. Um, so we get ridiculed, rightly so, for, hey, you don't have to bring up his, his fee all the time. You don't have to bring up what he costs. I want to read you a quote from Mikel Arteta on Pepe. I think he's come a long way. Quote, we know what the club paid for him when he joined, and that was obviously extra pleasure, a pressure. So if you want to ro- register your complaints, log your complaints about bringing up Pepe's cost, log them with the coach, the manager, I should say now, because he brought them up, and we will joke more about that later. But let's get started. Clive, I want to start with Joe Willick, um, the one who maybe we have the fewest data points on, Maitland-Niles, uh, maybe Reese Nelson could be put in that group. Pepe, certainly a little more data, but the Willick thing is interesting to me. I watched him really closely in this game. There was a move Saka made. He cuts inside. He puts the man on his big butt and gets in front of him and gets into the penalty box, does such a great job, and he slides it across the corridor of uncertainty, and Nketiah just misses it, and at the far stick, the kid who just misses tapping it in is Joe Willick. Joe Willick in this game was, he was making runs into the box that were so redolent of Aaron Ramsey. You just can't help but see sometimes the deepest man, sometimes the furthest ahead, making that aggressive run, finding spots in the box to to arrive on the ends of things. But as I watch him, I say, you know, he he is the part of a midfielder that we don't have with any of our other midfielders, but the thing they have, like, you know, passing and awareness of space when we're in possession and moving the ball quickly and and being part of that, that metronomic part of possession, he doesn't have. So I'm curious, as you watched him in this game and you see the interesting runs he makes, how valuable is his aggressive uh, final third running, and is it valuable enough to offset what I still view as his weakness, which is just clean, on-time, accurate passing of the football? <laughs> yeah, I always say the same. When we, when we analyze things, we always, bring in, we always bring in our luggage into the room, right? So we bring in our analysis, and we bring in things that we've seen historically, and they help form our our base for our expectations for our analysis, right? So Ayn Ramsey's a good analogy and a good comparison. And Tim will know, because he's listened to me on podcasts for a while, I have not always been appreciative of Ayn Ramsey's um, I, too, have done podcasts with you for a while, my friend. I just want to make sure that you're aware that I've been here <laughs> the whole time. I've been, I've been you know, there's, even before we met Elliot, we did, and I was quite consistent the dark about times. my analysis with Ayn Ramsey, and primarily in a double pivot, actually. I always felt he was a third midfielder. I felt I didn't want him to change his game, but we need to change for him. Right? And rather than being number 10, I thought he was a, he was an eel to number eight, the need to be able to break free and not be the one to give a structure. And at, that was at a time when I felt the team needed structure. Right? Then suddenly he was the same player and we went to a back three with Shaka in front of him. And I started I started to appreciate him a bit more differently because then I look at the team first and I see that Shaka's got an armchair, three centre-backs behind him. In that era, in that Wenger era, the Chelsea 2017 Cup final, we know how the game went. Aaron Ramsey could do exactly what he liked and our structure and our ability to be broken on wasn't massively impacted. I was fine with him then. When I'm judging Joe Willock, I've got to be consistent and judge him the same way. So Joe Willock has never really been in the midfield too very often. right? So he's always been the third midfielder. Only that, isn't it? Got similar skill sets, arise. And Ramsey wasn't always tidy on the ball. He used to be extremely risky, extremely untidy on the ball when he was younger, and extremely average at finishing. He smoothed some of this out as he got to 27, 28, 29, despite the big goals in cup finals, right? So, but Joe Willock, untidy on the ball, 
very untidy. Carries the ball probably better. He's a better with the ball, better driver. Aaron Ramsey's better, more astute off the ball at the moment. And we say that because he scores more goals. So we then say, you're better off the ball because your movement leads to something. But I do think you can't not look at the two of them and compare them. They are similar. They want to do similar things. I think Joe's got, they've both got skill in a different way. I think Ramsey's skill is how he receives it. Mm. He's got he's got a smooth way of bringing the ball under his control and then moves it and then goes. I think Joe Willett's got a more of a skillful, almost winger way he receives the ball. Sometimes he chops it, he crosses it off the first touch, then he goes. But it all looks a bit uncontrolled and gangly at the moment as he's 20 years of age. He's not set in his body yet. He's not there yet. And so people are not sure what he is. I do think they're very similar players, extremely similar. They see themselves as goal-scoring midfielders. The way they go about it is slightly different. The way they look is obviously slightly different. Their their physical dynamics are slightly different. I think Ramsey was more metronomic. I think Joe's faster. I think Ramsey would win a marathon race where Joe would win a 100-metre race. Do you know what I mean? And so, and so Ramsey definitely he, has the engine. I mean, no, no one has an engine like Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. But he, and that was his thing. And that was his also, I think, his weakness because we gave him too much space to cover. And I think he ran himself to his thighs popped hmm. consistently. And then what people like me used to do, I'd hold my hands up. When he came back from injury and had done two or three bad games, I'd be on him because we just expect him to come back. And then he'd do really, really well for two or three games. Then we'd lose him again. You know what I mean? and he he could, was a guy who'd he, play five mediocre games, but if he got five games in a row, the next five after that were sensational. He needed to right. get his running in. Yeah. Yeah, and I need to learn about a player as well. Tim's been quite consistent in his love for him, but I always say, you know what? Tim, like, let, me, let me have a little think about this a bit more deeply. And I looked at the rhythm of his game, look at his injury record. It's no surprise he'd played how he played. Up and down. When he was hot, he was hot. But Joe Willock, to be defined, in summary, to be defined, I think he needs to start playing like an Aaron Ramsey more. Maybe if we get to a three, great, but I don't think we will. I think, I think, and we'll talk about this later on, we are heading towards a four, two, three, one team. Mm. Hey, let's see. So Tim, I mean, this is interesting because you can't look at any article written about Arsenal right now. You can't look at any Arsenal game right now and not recognize that creating more chances and getting more shots. I mean, that's, that's the thing we have to unlock. And if we're going to play in the back three, like, what was our best ever period in a back three? It was when it was Shaka and Ramsey, where Shaka sat and Ramsey went. It's when we won the cup final against, che- I was going to say City and Chelsea, but now you have to say which which one you're talking about, mate. But like, you know, under Arsene Wenger, he kind of settled on that. It wasn't what he wanted to do probably, but it worked really well. Emery's only decent one month probably in charge came in that system. And I think, you know, if we have a really good two-way possession-oriented or sorry, deep-lying possession-oriented midfielder, you do wonder just how far Willick can go just on the strength of his final third running and arriving in the box. I mean, that chance, you know the one I'm talking about where Saka slides it across and it yeah, just yeah. misses being tapped in by Enkedia first and then Willick second. Ceballos isn't in that position. Shaka certainly isn't in that position. Ganduzi wouldn't be in that position. Elneny wouldn't be in that position. I don't know any other player we have that has the instincts to be there. So how valuable is that running and if you really can trust, whether it's a Ceballos or whether it's a Shaka, you know, to be the, the the one who just sits more routinely, and I realize Arteta's build-up style in the back three is a little more, a little different, and it, it really emphasizes structure. And I don't know how how much Willock will thrive in that, but could he 
if he really leaned into that, and if we really let Shaka just sit, you know, or whoever it is, could he be a, a possible answer to the the lack of chance creation, the lack of goal scoring? I mean, how how valuable is that running in terms of solving a potential problem we have? I think in this system, not very. Um, I don't think um, this current system encourages that at mm. all. Um, because it, because it's a midfield, for the reasons Clive said, it's a midfield two, not a midfield three. You need that third player to be free. Doesn't really happen when you've got a. You've got a midfield two, and the ones wide of them are wing backs anyway. So they're not wingers. They're not midfielders. They're primarily their defenders. So that leaves a lot of open space. So in this system, I don't think it is hugely. Um, it, it is hugely important, and I, I I'm not sure we'll ever get there. I, I'm not sure that's what Arteta's really trying to do. Um, we we don't get a lot of daring passes from the middle of the pitch, and and maybe that's by design. Um, I think the other issue as well for Willock, again, as Clive said, Ramsey was actually quite good on the ball. His off-the-ball running was brilliant, but he could pass it as well. He could control it. He yeah. could beat players. He was an all-rounder. I don't think Willock is. The, issue, the, the issues that Willock has got, I think, are twofold. First of all, I don't think it matters how often he's in the penalty area if no one's giving him the ball. Hmm. Um, but, the other but if piece, we're going to emphasize wide spaces, Tim, just just to, to to drill into that a little bit, we know we want to get wide. We want to do the overlaps. We, we we want to be delivering the ball from wider spaces. So having another runner into the box. Now, Clive has pointed out we do crash the box. That's actually become what we do, and increasingly those midfielders are doing it as well. But given that we want to attack wide spaces and create chances from those angles, is that not maybe wouldn't it come yeah. into play there a little bit? Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, so, because uh, to finish the thought, the thing was Sorry, Ramsey yeah. was, th- that's fine, that Ozil was there as well. So there was a ball there, um, whereas uh, there isn't a ball at the moment. But I think the thing is for Willock as well, I th- so there's a slight contradiction here. I think you need midfield. One of the reasons I liked Ramsey and I was always comfortable with Ramsey, I think you need midfielders that break free from structure or you need attackers that do that. You need to have players that do that. Otherwise... You become predictable. And what we've got at the moment, to be honest, I think, um, under Arteta, is that we're we're a bit predictable in terms of our patterns of play, which is why we don't get many shots off. Maybe when we do, they're good quality shots because we're drilled into patterns of play. And when they come off, they come off brilliantly. But ultimately, teams know what we're going to do. Um, and, and I think... So I think the issue is... If you're going to, so the issue is that we don't really have a structure that encourages players to break free from structure. We've dropped Pepe for Willian. What does that tell you? That tells you that Arteta doesn't want the player that breaks free from structure. He wants the structure guy. He's already got one with Aubameyang, who still kind of does what he's told on the left. But the other thing is, when you break from the structure, that obviously gives you um, an issue. But so you have to back it up with the end product. So David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne at Liverpool, they are not stood in the centre circle. They are all over the place. De Bruyne's off on that right wing. Silva's off on the left, cutting in on his left foot and everything. They are not in that. They do not sit in midfield and they leave like uh, Fernandinho or Rodri lots and lots of work to do. But they have the end product to back it up. And that's that's kind of the same for me with Ramsey. Ramsey had that end product to back it up. With Willock, it's not there yet. Whether it ever gets there, I'm not sure. I have my doubts. But essentially, I think he's a player that looks to break free from structure. That is not what we encourage. He wasn't initially going to be on the bench for the most recent Premier League game. 
until there's an, uh, an injury with Tierney. And we don't have that ball in there. I, I just personally, I don't see a place for him in this formation. Yeah, and I want to be clear. Like I've, I'm on record what I think about Willock as a player technically. I think he's well below the level right now. It doesn't mean he can't get there. I think he's well below the level. I think a midfielder who has the instincts to get in the box, and I think he has end product, Tim. I, I think he strikes the ball well. I think he can score goals. Um, I think you got to do more than score goals. you got to create goals, and I don't know that his, his delivery of the ball to other to teammates is as good as his ability to arrive in the box and score himself. But, um, you know, having said all of that, I, I, I do take your point. Look, if structure's what you want, as soon as Jorginho arrives, I think we're going to be all set because that, that's another player that's going <laughs> to... I'm kidding. I do not want Jorginho. I want that rumor to die. Kill it with fire, please. But um, yeah, it remains to be seen with Joe Willock. Uh, I, I think that, again, it's so interesting to me that the best back three formation I've seen at Arsenal in the last few seasons as a formation I don't particularly care for was Ramsey running and Shaka sitting. And if you think about when Ramsey was criticized the most, what was it people said? Oh, sure, he gets in the box and scores goals and he does it because he's not defending her and that's why we leak so many goals at the back. I mean, there was always a little of that give and take in the way he was analyzed. I think Joe Willick's running is interesting and I I think in the right environment, the right team that's clicking maybe a little more or knows a little more what they want to do to score goals. I think in a midfield three, a runner who gets in the box, goes past the forwards, wants to be in that position, can cause havoc for defenders. And I, ironically, I think if Aubameyang was playing center forward, I think someone who runs deeper and pulls a defender off, I mean, we need more space for him to pop up, you know, even if it's Lacazette, just not to be so bracketed. So I do think that can help. But again, I agree with you. I don't think at a technical level, he's good enough to be in the midfield. Like, Ramsey wasn't the best passer, but he was good. He, you know, he he was crisp. He was clean. He didn't turn the ball over a lot. I, th- I think Willock has a lot of work to do. He became good. I'm not saying yeah. he was good at this at this age, Clyde. But, yeah, but, exactly. He but it's hard good. to say. Can he's, I make... be he's be criticized for flicks and tricks. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Just one thing, though. He, what makes it hard to analyze Ramsey's technical level is he lost two years of his career at a young age as he was developing and then kind of had to go back to square one for a little bit. You know what I mean? You remember the goal? Was it Manchester United? He scored a goal late in the season at home. and He had just a storming game and he was young and he was new in his career. And like, there was so much there. You know what I mean? And it just got put on hold so with any luck maybe maybe will can have the same trajectory I think he could have, I think he could have been a, a way better player than he ended up being mm. I mean that anyway, way better because before he broke his leg he was just done dominate yeah dominate the very best teams and I think he was like nine stupid so yeah I don't think we ever saw the player we should have seen and I also feel we Misused him on many occasions and overused him on many occasions. So yeah, yeah. fair enough. Well, we'll see with Joe Welk. I mean, I, I, I kind of would love to have him go out on loan because I, I, I think it's time to see what kind of player he is, and I don't know that he'll play enough. But with the Europa League coming back, who knows? Um, so let's move on to another one. And and Tim, I'll start with you this time, so you're not always feeding off the scraps of Clive's uh, brilliant analysis here. Uh, by the way, do you own the entire Adidas range, like every single thing they've made? Because you're wearing a different one every time. I've got Puma on, which I apologize in advance. And of course, Clive being the baller that he is, has Hugo Boss on, for those of you not watching. But uh, do you own the entire range, Tim? Uh, I'm I'm getting there. Yeah, I'm getting there. So keep subscribing on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, because that's what you... You're basically becoming the kit man for, for Tim, which is super important. Um and, and if you keep doing that, maybe I can get my eyes done or something like that. I've got too many bags <laughs> under here from the babies. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, Reese Nelson. We'll, we'll save Pepe for a little bit so people have to listen beyond this point. But Reese Nelson is an interesting one because I feel that when he's played, he's been tidy, 
and clean. And, you know, to, to sort of uh, contrast him with Willick, very much in the system, very much doing what he was instructed, playing within himself, not flashing any of that quality that at one time had him being compared with Jaden Sancho, if you remember, like that. They were the they were the parallels in Germany when they first got there. So this game, he's a little more individualistic. He was a little more flair-oriented. I think it's interesting seeing him play as an inverted winger because he clearly has something when he cuts in on his right that he doesn't have when he's playing on the, on the right side, cutting in on his left or trying to go straight to the byline. So... I think some people were frustrated with him in this game because they felt he could have set up his teammates better. For me, I thought it was encouraging to see him feeling himself a little more and trying to express some of that flair that if you're a forward at some point, that has to come out of your game. How did you feel? Were you more frustrated by the way he didn't operate within the team framework or impressed by the way in which he tried to create his own opportunities? No, I, I was impressed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for a winger. I'm a sucker for players who don't, perhaps don't entirely do what they're told um, and try and break free from that structure. Um, yeah, I thought he looked much better. I thought like, just, um, you know, because I'm, I'm not sure when he plays on the right. Yes, you're right. He does everything structurally right. He gets, he receives, he shovels inside. He doesn't turn the ball over. You know, he runs his man, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, what I liked about, this game was, I just think that opportunity to come inside meant he felt more connected um, to the team and that that kind of, because I don't think he's a kind of um, a beater guy on the outside, like, like William can do. William can, you know, we, we haven't seen much of it yet, but he can beat that left back all day long and stand up across. I don't think that's who Nelson is. I think Nelson, he showed um, in his loan at Hoffenheim, he's got good penalty area instincts as well on the back post in particular. He picked up a lot of goals in the Bundesliga. Um, and, and I do, like I've, I've always kind of suspected that the left might be a better role for him, that he might be a bit more, um, almost more like a, a Gnabry type really, mm. um, kind of getting in on that, that right foot, <laughs> <laughs> getting in on that right foot. But I, I think you're right. I think that the, the kind of, I don't know if I want to say issue, but maybe the issue here is that kind of confidence, that assertiveness that we haven't really seen and whether that's just his character um, and we need to tease that out a bit more or whether it's just because he was asked to do a more kind of uh, conservative job and he thought, OK, well, I've been asked to do a role. I'm going to do that and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to rock the boat too much. But I remember he started away at Newcastle um, for the first game of last season. And, uh, and actually he looked, um, he, I, d I don't know if this is a credit to him or not. He actually looked really ideal for what Emery wanted to do because Emery really wanted that box shape. He wanted his wide players to come in as number 10s. And he did that up at Newcastle and he did that from the left and he did it really, really well. And I think mm. that's what he wants to do. I don't think he's a classic winger. I think he wants to come inside a little bit. So I see him much more inverted, but I love this performance from him against Leicester because um, sometimes you can tell in the first couple of minutes what a player's thinking um, and how a player's feeling. And it was the first thing he did was he got the ball and he took a shot. And uh, and I thought that was great. And it was a good shot as well. It was a sensible shot. It wasn't just a pot shot from anywhere. It was it was you know it nearly went in. And uh, and you know Arsenal don't take enough shots. There's not enough for me. There's still not enough jeopardy um, in this team and in this attack that really makes defenses think. And I, I thought he really added that. And then I just thought you saw him come inside, pop off one twos. And he looked, he looked much more involved and, and he looked to me, like I said, on the Patreon pod, he looked like for me, he was trying to perhaps, he perhaps knows he's going to go out on loan. Um, and he was thinking, all right, if I'm going to go out on loan, I want to go out on loan to like, you know, 
a mid-table side and not a team fighting relegation and that he was really looking to to kind of make his mark. Mm, I thought that the relationship he had with Saka as contrasted with maybe the one that Pepe and Maitland-Niles had on the other side looked good as well. Um, and I, that's not a Pepe dig as much as maybe it is a Maitland-Niles dig, which we'll come to. But like, I think there's another interesting point here, which is the Europa League has announced that they will have five subs this season. And I think that could lead to us maybe keeping someone that would have gone on loan. You might say, well, what does that really matter? I think if you only have three subs, you have to be careful about putting out a strong enough team that can win the game because, you know, maybe you get an injury, maybe you can't change it as much as you want. But with five subs, you can start a bunch of kids in the Europa League. And if it's not quite going for you, you can change it substantially enough to, you know, probably claw it back. I mean, if you're playing Lokomotiv Plovid and they're down to nine men and you need to bring on, you know, some serious threat, you can, even if you've made a couple of subs already. So that rule change might mean that you feel a little more comfortable starting a little younger, a little less experienced than you might have otherwise, that there's more minutes to go around. So maybe performance like this and and that rule change combined to change the trajectory. What I will say is there are certain players at certain points of their career that need to be playing regularly, improving, if not at the Arsenal level, certainly at some level, that they can impose themselves. I mean, you look at, you know, a player like Tammy Abraham, who had what, what, whatever he had, something ridiculous. What do you have, like 25 goals in the championship or something at 20 years old? So, something. It it was a lot. You know, it. I think some people don't rate Tammy Abraham. I happen to. But whatever you think of him, the point is, he went down a level and he dominated and he showed that he could come back up. And and I, I think that does a lot for a player in terms of showing them they have it in them and showing the club they that the player has it in them. And, you know, I think it's time for Nelson to show that uh and maybe it's not Arsenal. We'll see. I, Clive, let's quickly wrap up on Nelson. We'll shift to Maitland-Niles before saving Pepe for the end so people stick around. Um, do you do you share the same feeling with, with Tim that the inverted winger situation suited him well and that, um, and that it was an impressive performance with what he did individualistically? Or are you more inclined to look at the ways that maybe there were some opportunities in the team structure that he, that he missed? No, I, I thought he did okay. I think you know, I think he gets a lot of praise, and I think that's part of the problem. I think um, I do feel Nelson is a classic kill it as a kid, transition to an adult player. I mean, he was the PL2 player of the season one year and was the best player in under-23s. Just fantastic. He went to Hoffenheim, and I felt he got given a lot of praise. And, and I think his ability to absorb that praise and still stay hungry. I think he's really key. Um, I liked, I see him as two positions for me, actually. I do think he's better off the left rather than high right. Uh, and I also see him play right wing back. And I thought he was excellent, you know, in a Victor Moses type way, where you have one wing on one side and a fullback the other side. And basically, I felt that's a great role for him, just very direct, punchy, up and down. He developed in defensively. I thought he did. I thought he could do something there, in a particular system with a particular weight on that side, and he's happy on the extremities on the right hand side with that defined role. But he's so close to Willian in style that Willian has sort of killed him a little bit. So when when we talk about Willian and Pepe, they're different players, right? They're different players offer different things, so they can coexist in the same team, or they can rest one for the other and give us a different thing. He's so similar to Winnie, and he wants to take up those positions. Not saying they're similar in stature, but they're similar in the way they move. And obviously, obviously, Reese is a bit sharper now, given the fact he's about he's younger. And so that's a problem when you have you have him, 
Smith-Rowe to come in. I mean, Joe's different to, to Reese, but he's really been hit by the arrival of Willie Allen. I think there's enough games to go around, but it's going to come in bunches. And if we get knocked out of the Carabao Cup, that takes a set of games away, Europa League games to come. I actually think they should all stay. I really think they should all stay. Uh, I think he's just going to have to wait his time. Whether that's fair or not, I don't know. Enough games, but is it enough games for him at this age where I think he may need the boost of going on loan? So of all the players, he may be the one I would say would benefit from a loan more than any of the others. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Well, let's do this then. Let's do the blockbuster section now. We we can say Maitland-Niles is the, the dessert at the end. Let's talk Pepe. Um I think it is difficult because Pepe has, for whatever reason, started to become that polarizing figure in the squad as as, as Ozil fades out for one reason or another, and I, I am even hesitant to invoke the name. The, the Pepe debate has sort of started to take on some of that tone, and that I think... I think it is possible to be critical of what we're getting from Pepe while also being clear, and I want to be clear. I believe in his phenomenal talent. I think in terms of his athleticism and his physical abilities, he is just behind Aubameyang as the best player at the club in terms of what he can do manipulating a football, beating a man off the dribble, the burst and the acceleration, the way he strikes a shot with the instep of his left foot, like the way he can curl it, free kicks. Like I, I don't know that anyone has the talent he has, but that is not all it takes. And for whatever reason, it's not happening right now. Let me read for you the Arteta quotes really quickly. I think he's come a long way. We know what the club paid for him when he joined, and that was obviously an extra pressure. So to be clear, we're not the only ones who bring that up. That That is clearly a part of the analysis, even from the coach and the player. Um, but he's a player who's had to adapt. It's a different style. He has a really good attitude. We can see develops in phases of uh, development in phases of his game. He's very settled here. He's liked by the boys. He's really good character to have around, and I'm really positive that we're going to have him for many years and that he can perform at a really high level consistently. Um, I think it's always nice for them to have some compatriots next to them talking about Pepe and Gabriel. It makes things a lot easier in the first few months when they cannot speak the language. I think both of them know each other, and they've spent some time together now. Um, I think it's great to hear that, first of all, that he's liked, that he has the right attitude, because the one thing we know about Arteta is Arteta's not shy to say, when I see what, you know, what I want in training, then he'll play. Or, you know, he, he went after Ceballos, for example. He needs to work harder. He's not saying that about Pepe. He's, he's saying that he likes what he sees, and it's just got to happen for him. That's encouraging. Clive, I have to admit, in this game, I kind of thought, I, I kind of wanted a little more from him. Just point blank, totally honest. I know he scores the own goal. Um, and that Enkedia was furious about hilarious moment when that ball goes in and Enkedia throws his arms in disgust because he was right there to have it slipped in. I think delivering the ball on time, making the decisions in the moment. Uh, you know, I remember with Theo, he used to say, you know, Theo was the best player in the world at doing things that he didn't have to think about when he had to think about it. It didn't work out so great for him. There's a little of that in Pepe's game. How did, did, did Were you disappointed that he didn't do, do more... Um, to, to impose himself on this game? Where, where, where do you fall on what we're getting from Pepe right now, generally and in this yeah. game specifically? Well, yeah, we've done a bit on him recently, so I feel as I'm, I'm going to repeat myself. So for some people, uh, I apologize. But I I don't think it's a talent issue. I think it's a uh, a mental issue. By that, I mean, that's a bit of a broad way to say mental. I think it's about how he applies himself and connects to a game of football. That's what it is. And how he is connected to a game of football 
and how he feels within the framework of a game of football. And so when we were about to sign him, I did a lot of, I know you guys don't like it, I did a lot of YouTubing on him, right? And and a lot of reading on him. Well, now it better be Y Scout. That's all I'm going to say, because we, we, we yeah, paid for yeah, it. Yeah. You better use it. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and a lot of reading, a lot of YouTubing, and I tried to connect the two together. And I often look at players in a psychological way, because I always look at what they do and what they like to do and what they're best at doing. Then how can you create something around them that allows them to do that more often? what a coach should do, right? Maximize someone's potential. When I saw the areas he picked up the ball, and I saw the areas where he's picking up the ball for Arsenal, which is basically in the West End. That's no good to anybody, right? I mean, he's very predictable because that's what you only one place to go, which is inside, right? You're on the extremities. And I said very, very early, I felt him and Ozil were duplicating each other. Then I looked at Ozil's young videos when he was at, well, I thought, it Schalke or Werder Bremen or maybe both. Bremen, right? Um, I, I looked at him and I thought I saw the similarities between the young Ozil and the young Pepe. I immediately said we need to move him inside. And that's straight away. Move him inside. You have to get that player near the goal because he is a borer, finisher, wide man. That's what he is. He's not a create. He can create, but he's more of a Salah than a Theo Walcott. You see what I mean? Theo Walcott, straight line, run up down the sides. You want him there, stretching teams, hold your whip burn people on the outside or out to win run. Right? So off the ball killer. This guy can do off the ball, we can do on the ball. We had to maximize him. And I don't I don't think we are. And I, because of that, you're absolutely right, Eddie. We're looking around because we do this. I don't like what we do. We look for these people and we look for them and we look for these issues and we create our own dramas. There is no drama here. All we have to do is decide how we need to use that whole right-hand side, let's be honest. Because mm. it's not working great. We've been talking about it for ages. And I, I just feel he, he will come to fruition when we decide he's important. Can I, can I make a point about the drama? So, Clive, the, the only reason I think we create this drama is, ironically, people think it's having a go at a player. So, you know what I think oh, the no, irony we're, is? We're, we're no, no, no. Oh, of yeah, course. Yeah. But what I mean is like, I think the drama comes from the fact that like the, the players we are hard on are often, and this is what I think is misunderstood. We're hard on them. I don't think because we dislike them or think they're bad. I often think we're hard on them because we believe they're very good. And it's frustrating when the players you believe are very good don't deliver. Like, I'm not frustrated by Mohamed Elneny. I think Mohamed Elneny is a limited player. If he does okay, I'm happy because okay is his ceiling. When Pepe does okay, I'm frustrated for not because of money. I'm frustrated because Pepe can be sensational. And, you know, to your point about him coming inside, Clive— the cup final run and the big games that he was good in down the stretch, he was much more central. He was cutting much further inside. He was getting much more support on the outside um, to, to, so that he could take up those spaces. And I, again against Leicester, he was a little more chalk on the boots. He was wider a lot of the game, and I don't think he excels in that position. You know the, the offside goal he scored from the top of the box? Was it City or Chelsea? where he slammed it in cup final, yeah. Slams it into the corner from the top of the box, curls it like one touch, boom, explodes off his foot, and it's in the back of the net before you can see it. There's not 10 players in the league that can do it. It is that, and I get it, he's offside, but if a player can do that, we have to get more at him. We have to get, that player needs to be unleashed. So I'll let you wrap up here, and Tim can have a say, but I'm hard on him because there's more to come from that guy. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate your your view, and I, I think that's the way you should be, and it should be contextualized as such. Mm. 
But I, what I will say is, the last thing I said there, I think I just realised that I think it's important, is I think he needs to be made to be felt that he's important. He's, he needs to get to the point where he's not just playing for Arsenal. He is one of the main men. And I think he needs to be told, you are one of the main men. Get out there and rip this lot to pieces. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't Rather have Aubameyang swagger yet, does he? He's still feeling he for that confidence. Yeah. But he has got the most stability on the football, mm-hmm. in the football club, apart from maybe the bloke some free 50 grand a week who's obviously very talented, right? I'm telling you, he is the talent. He is the technical talent. Yeah, I agree. He can do anything he likes. But I think it's all between the ears. He needs to be made to feel important. So we then come along and what does that do? That says, maybe you're not as important as you think you are, mate. And mm. so now we need to pull him up. That's why I think with him, it's his ability to stay connected to the game and it's our ability to connect him to the game and make him feel important. And once we do that and we've seen it, then I think we'll be all good. I do have to laugh. I uh, had a bit of a go at Lacazette um, after the West Ham game. Was it West Ham where he scores the header? Yeah. Yeah, yeah had a bit of a go uh, You know, at Lacazette, scoring a goal, having a bit of a go at Pepe who, you know, put the ball in, roughly speaking. It's Who would want to analyze football? Tim, one of the things, though, that I think, if we're going to point out Pepe's underwhelming performance in some capacity, I think the other thing we have to point out is, if you wrote an autobiography about well, you wouldn't write it, he would write it. If, if, if you wrote a biography of Pepe's time at Arsenal so far, it would be called, They Wouldn't Pass It to Me in Space, a Pepe Story. Like, this guy, I, I, I mean... At the end of the West Ham game, he could have had a tap in. Oba didn't give it to him. He went for the shot from the top of the box. He had another moment where he was standing alone in the box, and I think it was um, who was playing on the left at that point at the end of the West Ham game. Was it Saka who was over there? Maybe didn't get it to him. Um, In this game, he's leaning. He's showing where he's leaning. He's right on the shoulder of the last defender. He's in space. He threw his hands up so many times at Ninketi, who didn't give him the ball once, Willock, who didn't give him the ball once, Maitland-Niles, who didn't give him the ball once. So... If we're going to have a, a bit of a go at him for being able to do more, is it me, Tim? Am I imagining it? Or is Pepe weirdly not being given the ball? And like, if we had a player who could play a through ball, would Pepe suddenly just explode? Because his running does seem intelligent. He seems to know when to go, but no one seems to be able to release it on time for him. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the issue. I think um, <clears throat> I think it was really interesting in the quotes you read out that Arteta referenced uh, Gabriel, um, who he played with at Lille. And um, because one of the things I think we know anecdotally is that Pepe is an introvert. He's a very quiet guy, um, perhaps hasn't made like loads of friends at Arsenal, which doesn't mean everyone hates him. It's just he kind of keeps himself to himself. He has like family and his entourage with him. And it kind of sounds like he he goes to training, he trains and he goes home kind of thing. And that he's not um, quite as you know, in the group as players like Aubameyang and Lacazette who kind of came here and, and were real kind of alpha males on the training ground. Um, and you can see that a bit in the way Pepe plays. You can see it physically. Sometimes his feet are amazing, but sometimes he doesn't quite use his body um, quite as well to shield the ball. Um, you can see that he doesn't really demand the ball sometimes, but I think we saw that in the cup final, for instance. You see that and he was demanding the ball and he was taking up... Pen- uh, positions that demand the ball and I think um, you know I, I keep comparing him to all these players like Will Tord, um, not as a player but as someone we signed for a lot of money who probably 
wasn't quite worth the money, but made big contributions. So we didn't really care about it anyway. And that's maybe the player Pepe could become. But um, I think the Ozil comparison, not just in terms of his style, but that kind of, you know, slightly slopey body language that, oh, they haven't given me, you know, instead of that, you haven't given me the fucking ball. It's the, <laughs> oh, you haven't. You know, and 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 that's and that's as an introvert myself, that is worth paying the Patreon fee to see Tim (laughs) physically imitating those players on the video right there because it was it was there's a bit of that going on, and and I think um, I think there's also something maybe maybe I'm thinking about this too simplistically that this boils down to. Uh, I mean, first of all, maybe Pepe is just not the player that we that we want him to be. Maybe he's got that with how many players have got that super talent, but just don't apply it a hundred percent. And maybe he'll only apply it 70, 80%. But I think the fundamental problem that Pepe has is that this team cannot, I think he kind of needs the team to be built around him. That is not going to happen while we've got Aubameyang. And the bigger problem for him is that Aubameyang is over on the other wing and he's the one we want to come inside and he's the one that we don't really want to be a winger. We want to be an inside forward and he's the one who's running in the box and like everything's around him, you know? And that that doesn't really suit, but it kind of reminds me of the Ozil Sanchez thing where mm. the actual two, compl- like Pepe and Aubameyang do combine really well. But I always felt there was this tension with Ozil Sanchez. It was like they they both had these completely different personalities and set of abilities, which was great. But on the other hand, there was always this kind of, well, whose team is this? Is this Sanchez's team or is it Ozil's team? And it happened towards the end of Henri's time. It was like, is this Henri's team or is this Fabregas's team? And you get that tension sometimes. And I think the issue here is this is undeniably a Bamiang's team. And I'm not sure how Pepe fits into that, not least because of what I was saying earlier about Joe Willock, is that I think within Arteta's system, it's super structured. It's just like, no, no one break free from the structure. You've all got your space that you that you cut. So having two wingers who ostensibly want to be able to go wherever they want, I just I just don't think that's going to happen in in an Arteta attack, um, for better or worse. And, and back I to think... Sorry, to back to that importance here. Again, exactly, exactly. And, and that's Leo, both a tactical... Yeah, right. that's both a tactical and a mental thing. There, there is a tactical point there, but there is also a, sorry, Aubameyang's the, the man here, and you've kind of got to fit in with that. And I'm not sure he's a fit in with that kind of player. Yeah. Clive? No, I I agree. We we've, we've more or less come attacked the same point from different angles, and uh, we we didn't go massive on assertiveness. Like I did on the Patreon pod the other day, but he's a you have to meet him. He has to meet this halfway. He has to be more assertive. We have to make him feel more important, more confident. We have to allow him to be who he is, all within the structure that we we are developing and a sense of identity with. And sometimes when you're when you're developing a team and its identity and what you want it to be, what you want it to be going forward. Sometimes there are casualties. Sometimes people have to wait. You know, I think, I know, I've got this little theory. Want to hear my latest theory? I love theories. Mm. <laughs> I, Is well, it about aliens like, or? I've just mm. concatenated all of my thoughts and, and, and taken some thoughts. and thought, Okay, I know I think I know what's happening here with Arteta, right? So he's obviously building from the back. And I know we're focused on when's he going to play three in midfield? When's he going to have this system that we think he had at City or SVM? I don't think he's bothered. I think he's much more a zonal manager. I think he's much more about building hybrid players 
and switching systems within game and for specific opponents. And I don't think he is a four-two-three man or four-three-three man. I think he's a football man, right? So, and I think he's want, but I do think he wants to have a positional system that's control based. And what I think he's doing, this is my little thing. If, how do you get control? At the moment, we're quite a deep line team that that plays through the phases. I think eventually he wants to move us forward. And I mean the whole team from the back. So how do you do that? You add fast one-on-one defenders. Dick. You add a sweeper-keeper. You know I'm going with this? A sweeper-keeper that basically plays high up and he moves everything forward. And once you move everything forward, then you can add an OR because now you're playing in small spaces. You see what I mean? And once you move everything forward, where's Pepe going to be when receiving the ball? Mm. Much smaller spaces inside, much more in his skill set. So I think Arsenal are building a team for control. Build speed from the back, sweep a keeper, push everything 10, 15 yards forward, reduce the space. Then you have Man City. Mm. You see what I mean? Mm. Then you have covering, breakaway centre midfield that stops the counter attack. You have counter fouls. You're now replaying football in other people's half. We're not at that control phase yet. We're at the building the base phase yet. And I think Pepe's role is to come when he's going to be more of the player closer to the goal. Like he is when we see him with those sparks, they're similar sparks, aren't they? They're closer to the goal sparks, central sparks. I think that's to come. So that's what I think the future of Arsenal is going to be in the next year or so. But Pepe might have to wait in the queue so he can be himself. Can I um, add uh, a, a bit of a stat to that? You were talking about control, Clive. You love a stat. Um, I, I read today that Arsenal's passing accuracy is uh, 87 point something percent, uh, second highest in the Premier League after Everton, um, actually. Mm. So I think that that control point and how much of that possession is perhaps a bit sterile at the moment. But yeah, when you're talking about control, there is a clear uptick there in terms of keeping the ball and possessing the ball. Well, and, and maybe it is working for that better chance because the one thing I will say, we all know that Arsenal shoot less than we should and, and you know, near relegation form at times in terms of the shots we're taking. But interestingly, uh, under Arteta, Absolutely. we had the highest XG per shot of any team in the league. In other words, we were working into the best scoring chances of any team in the league. And so that control and that patience, maybe there's a balance there. You have to create more chances, but... You're creating great chances, and that's that's a start. Yeah. But do you understand what I mean by the control aspect, building from mm-hmm. the back? I want, so we're, we're fans, right? We don't feel – we could lose this week, but we don't feel fearful. Well, I don't feel fearful about this game because I feel we are structurally consistent and there's a level of control about what we're doing. And imagine that's further up the pitch and we've got better athletes that can cover big ground, etc. There's something happening here that's really significant and we just have to allow it to develop. And not every player is going to be at their optimum while we do that. And I'll say this, given that Liverpool do seem to be trialing a higher line this season, that that seems to be Klopp's next thing because he's bored, Pepe better fucking play at Hamfield, right? Because like... Uh, he, oh, that's brilliant, mm, isn't it? Sorry, man. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. I wish I'd have said that because that's what he did, didn't he? He bought Van Dijking, got control, got make sure we press people back and rip the ball off them. Now he's adding the possession piece. We've now got the ball. Thiago, mm-hmm. Except we've got the ball now. We can't We can't ask Jordan Henderson to, to drive this bus any longer. You see what I mean? We've got to bring Thiago in and we drop Fabinho back in the back line, for example. And and, and now we've got the ball. Everyone's scared of us. Mm. Now I've got to adjust this team again. And that is, that is a 
Right. And I'll say, speaking of being scared, given that this is now a video format uh, for me and I can see you when you said, here's my little thing, I have to admit, heart fluttered a little bit. I'm glad that it was just a point about football. Um, and the less said about that, the better. Let's wrap up real quick with Ainsley Maitland-Niles, though. And Tim, the thing with Ainsley Maitland-Niles that I am fully ready to concede is I think he is an elite defensive player at this point. And I think he solves a lot of problems for us across the back line, wherever we want to plug him in. I think he fits the structure. He knows the system. He goes where he's supposed to go. I think he's shown that he's intelligent off the ball. I think he's shown that he's dogged defensively. Um, I love that about him. And the defense of him in the attack was, well, he's been playing mostly on the left and he's a right footer. And so his final ball delivery wasn't there. And fair enough. I do think that for Arsenal, again, with the shot shy issue that we've talked about and with the formation we're playing in those widest players, um, which would be Saka in this game, and it was Maitland-Niles in the other game, have a big responsibility. You saw Saka play almost like a forward in, in terms of what he was able to do and the danger he was able to create the last few games. I wanted to see Maitland-Niles show me that when he's on the right and when he's given that license, that 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 attacking half side of the game is there maybe more than we thought. And I don't think it didn't have any favors that as a contrast, he had... Pretty much a quiet game in that respect. Bellerin comes on, and about two minutes into being on the pitch, he dances past the entire defense, gets into the box, slides a perfect ball across. I mean, a little bit of luck, but it's a seeing eyeball right to the toe of Nketiah, and it's bundled in. So, like, is it fair to say, look at Aaron Wan-Bissaka at United. I don't think anybody would deny he is an elite defensive fullback. But he's not a great fit for them, in my view. I think he holds them back in attack, and I don't want an Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So if we're going to use initials, I want AMN to be more TAA than AWB, if you follow what I'm saying. So uh, TBQHWY, right? To be quite honest with you. To be quite honest with you. So, wow, that was close. Um, uh, So anyway, moral of the story is I don't have that written on my computer keyboard somewhere. So... um, do you agree that we have maybe a little more of an AWB than a TAA? How do you feel about that in context of him getting to start on the right and, and give us a chance to see on his stronger side what he could do in attack and maybe not quite doing it? Yeah, yeah, I, I think in this one game that's uh, that's true. And obviously that's that's a small, obviously he's played there quite a lot before, but that's a smallish um, sample size. And like you say, probably unflattering when, when Bellerin comes on and does that. But Bellerin's been doing that a lot lately. You know, you remember that lovely th- through ball for Aubameyang at Fulham as well. And I, and I think um, I think uh, maybe this confirmation bias thing, but I, I don't think it really told us anything we didn't already know, which is that if we wanted to go, it, it's great for Arsenal, I think, because we have horses for courses fullbacks. I still don't know where Cedric fits into that. He, to me, to me, he is the odd one out here. Um, mm. At the moment, not Maitland, Niles, and Bellerin. To me, we've got Bellerin for you know the vast majority of games, and then we've got Maitland, Niles, who can even play on the left as well. Um, you know, almost like that kind of that Maitland, Niles, Saka piece on the left. Mm. But for me, Maitland, Niles is the player you play for big games when you're playing on the counter. Like I'd fully expect to see him um, start at Anfield uh, on on Monday, for example. Um, absolutely. Um, have him like uh, against Salah because he's an excellent stand-up defender and the rest of it. But if we were like I don't know at home to Aston Villa, I, I'd have Saka uh, or Bellerin, and that and that that for me that is that's fine for Arsenal. Um, I do, like I say, I don't really know where Cedric fits into that, um, and I don't know what Maitland Niles himself thinks about that because there seem to be interest from Wolves that's gone. They've bought a right back now, uh, Semedo from Barcelona, so the Wolves thing is gone. Is anyone else going to show any interest in the next kind of couple of weeks of the window? 
maybe but uh, you know are we going to get a lot of money particularly now one of the things that's really impacted the end of the window is the fact that there are going to be no fans we know that for at least another six months that really impacts the bottom line that really impacts what a lot of teams can do Swiss Ramble did a great rundown by the way if you want the specifics go to his timeline he, he broke down exactly what it's going to cost each club and, and Arsenal specifically uh, for, for that uh, time yeah. sorry I just figured I would point people in that direction. Yeah, no, no. But, and, and there's not going to be a lot of, there's not going to be a lot of buying going on. There might be some loans. There might be some swaps, not a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so essentially you could say we're stuck with three, with three right backs. And again, it makes the Cedric signing even more confusing to me, but I, I think that's fine for us. It's just, what does Maitland Niles think of that? Is Maitland Niles at this stage of his career, is he happy, you know, to just play those big games and perhaps not play in the other games? Personally, I still want to see him in midfield, um, which is not to say I don't want to see him at, at, at fullback. I still see him as an option for central midfield. I, I don't. I know he's got some flaws, maybe, but he had some flaws maybe at fullback, and I think we kind of we got through those. So I don't really. I'd really like to hear an explanation about why, what the kind of why. I guess consecutive managers just really haven't seen him as an option for that role because. I, I'm I'm at least curious to see more of it, um, and I think the Carabao Cup and the Europa League would be a perfect opportunity to see it. I, I'd still like to see him, you know, left wing back or defensive midfield, depending. Yeah, Clive. Yeah, I, I agree with the last point there, Tim, for sure. I don't get it myself, and I, I said, so let's have a look at it, right? That's all. Just because when he's done it before, he's done quite well, but it's not, it's been in average games. Let's see what he can do. He's got all the skill sets to do it. So again, we I, I had a bit of a property the other day, both of you, so I have to apologise for that when I, on my mate and Niles thing. And the reason why I did, I felt we were just judging people on crosses and last third for fullbacks, and I, I don't see the role that way. I see it as whatever is required on the day. One of my favourite ever fullbacks was Lauren. He wasn't Ashley Cole, but he was absolutely a killer defensive. His side, nobody went. Right? So, and he underlapped... And he supported people, and no one could break on him. Fearsome. I just see Maitland Niles as more Lauren than Ashley Cole, and Bellerin is more than Ashley Cole with his go forwards, front footed style. He never, Ashley Cole never stayed in his hole. He was gone. But he had Sol Campbell behind him, so Sol did two men's jobs, no problem, right? So, and, then, and again in the week, we thought, okay, you're on your right foot. Let's see you compete with Bellerin. We walked in with our luggage. Yeah, we walked in with our luggage to say, let's see what you can do versus Bellerin. We do it. We all do it. It's natural. And he played a different game. Ask yourself why he played a different game. Well, Joe Willock was on his inside. Now, where was he standing in comparison to Sabias or El Nelly, who would give a structure? Joe Willock was playing one-on-one, and he was breaking. So for him to break, Ainsley had to be Carl Walker, inverted right back, to make sure no one could break on us. Mm. But every game has a design, right? And it's really important that we have a look at that and put our luggage to one side <laughs> a little bit, our analysis luggage to one side, and our comparative data we have, and just say, what was happening in this game? What was the cause and effect? And that's how I saw it. By the way, I had the same disappointment on a couple of sloppy left-footed passes. I mean, really bad. Mm. You know, it didn't cost us anything because they weren't that great, and we were quite sharp in the recovery. So on a day where there's crowds in and it's a big game, we're, we're after him for those passes, but it just didn't matter because we snuffed them out really quickly. But we all saw them, right? So, um, and that needs to come out of the game. I think some of that's concentration. We spoke about 
games with no crowds and how people get disconnected. I think he's definitely one of those. I think Pepe's another one. They need it hard. They need it tough. And Tim Say called it. You want him at Anfield, didn't you? You want him at Anfield because we're talking about elite wide forwards. Elite. Mm-hmm. And he is the one player that can stay with them. Right? So we want him there. That tells you what he's really good at. And that tells you he's an elite, defensive, progressive footballer that can really shut people down. So he is what he is. He's different. He's Lauren to me. I love Lauren. He's one of my favourite Invincibles. For me, the greatest Arsenal right-back ever. And that's how much I rated him. And he was a quiet killer. Not spectacular, just a quiet killer that never lost his power. So that'll do for me. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? I think we have a hard stop for Tim that we are on the doorstep of, and it very rarely works out this well that we've wrapped up the conversation as that happens. And rather than just jettisoning Tim uh, while we blather on about a game that will be forgotten in history, let's leave it there. I think that was a good conversation about four players that we will be uh, intently watching. We could have picked someone like Enkedia too, but I think we have a little more data point on him at this point. So, you know, we know his role at the club and, and, this will continue to change and evolve as we go. But all in all, look, it, it's just a simple fact that when Arsenal has a football game on the calendar, we go, we show up, we win that game. That's what we do. That's all we do. And I assume uh, we will just comfortably and confidently do it again on Monday at Anfield. Obviously. What else could happen? So, uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Quick note before we get out of here. I want to thank everybody who has signed up for Patreon. It means the world to us, and we try to produce a lot of interesting and different and unique content there. We have an analytics pod with Scott. We have rewatches with Clive. We have instant reactions and pregame shows, and we have uh, a scouting session coming up. We'll be back to in the spotlight soon because we need to jinx a player. We also will always do these two free pods for everyone every week. That is a commitment. That is what we do, and we will always do it. So I hope everyone feels that if you don't want to sign up for Patreon, you get two great pods that you love every week. And if you do want to sign up for Patreon, that you know we take it seriously and we give you great content. So either way, I hope you're really satisfied by that. And if you're not, uh, definitely get in touch at Posnan in my pants and complain. Uh, so we love you. Uh, thank you so much for being here, wherever here is. It really means the world to us. Um, and we hope you have a great weekend. It won't be ruined by Arsenal on Monday. Big win coming up. So we love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.